0: This is redefining the counterculture on Witten Radio. Make sure to check out our website at wittenradio.com. Joined by comedian Jen Kirkman this evening, she joins us to talk a little bit about some of her newest projects and uh, just she's going to make us laugh. I present to you, Jen Kirkman. Jen, how are you?
1: Hi, I'm. You know, I'm feeling really effed up. I. <laughs> I just watched all eight episodes of Stranger Things season three, and I'm I just feel all the emotions. I
0: hear you. I hear you. What, did it Did it live up to to what you thought it would be?
1: Oh yeah, it was. I think it was the best season so far. It was so because the kids are getting older, so there's so many more experiences that they can have. So there was so much, and I won't do any spoilers. It was just really good acting, really good plots, but it was scary, and there was darkness, and there was. I just feel weird. Also, I've been sitting by myself for eight hours. I got up at six in the morning to watch it. So
0: (laughs) you're the only person
1: I've talked to today.
0: (laughs) No pressure. No pressure. Okay. Okay. So
1: I feel so bizarre. I feel like I've been in that world. I'm trying to, like, wake up at 4 p.m. my time and come to life. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I know. I'm I'm I'm, I'm a kid from the 80s. So it's making me nostalgic. And I... I also never would have you know, binge watching was never a thing I had growing up and and now I'm like I can't even watch a couple at a time. I have to watch the whole thing. So every once in a while when I really like a show this happens and I'll have one day out of a you know, one day here and there a couple of times a year where I'm just completely like out of society and I'm yeah, it's weird.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's such a great series and I mean, it's, it's so engrossing and, you know, Netflix has, it's a home run. I mean, they, from start to finish, it's been like in a really, really amazing series. Do you remember, so growing up, do you remember any, any shows, were there any shows, obviously we didn't have Netflix in the eighties, uh, but were there any shows in particular that you just, um, you know, that you just love to watch?
1: I mean, I had an obsession with everything from ALF to Moonlighting. So I had, like, really good taste and, like, really horrible taste. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I remember Moonlighting, actually.
1: Oh, my God. I thought it was so great and so brilliant. And I just loved it. And I still love it. But ALF I was super obsessed with. And if you go back and watch it now, it's actually kind of cool because it's super dark and it's it's just a little bit off. Like, Alf will say something, but it's not a punchline, and nobody laughs, and he'll just say these super dark things, like, I, I, lost. <laughs> it's just like, I lost my home planet, I have no one, and then they cut to commercial. I'm like, that's weird. <laughs> I'm like, no wonder I'm a weirdo. I grew up watching that, like, when I was eight.
0: <laughs> I, know. I know exactly what you mean, too. Like, when we were, when we were little... Like, we just thought, like, oh, it's Alf, like, he's adorable or whatever. But like, he's just said some really traumatic stuff. Like,
1: yeah, he was, like, completely traumatized. He was the only one that survived a nuclear explosion on his planet, and he was alone. <laughs> and everyone's like, son, oh, the puppet. And we're like, oh, right, right. the puppet.
0: <laughs> he's, like,
1: literally a trauma
0: survivor. I know.
1: <laughs> that's Only we think that's funny. I don't think I, if I explain that to someone now who's a little younger, they'd be like, "That's terrible," because they're much nicer than we are.
0: I think anyone younger. Exactly, <laughs> it's, cra- it's crazy how stuff like translates over, and just the things, even just culture and, and 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 norms, like things that were like normal in the '80s, like aren't now. Like like chain smoking was like a thing, you know, like you could just smoke in an airplane, and oh. Uh, Oh, wow. Yeah. crazy stuff it's like and like now it's like you know like you've got to stand you know 100 feet from a building and
1: it's, it's just, just no fun I do a whole thing in my act about the, the smoking and how I mean I won't like ruin the punchlines uh people have to come see it but I talk about how like everyone is so mean to millennials and saying you guys are always on your phones it's because we took smoking away and what else are they supposed to do with their anxiety I mean we were the same way like I was always fiddling with something, but it was a cigarette, not a phone. And now that I'm older and don't smoke, and you can't smoke really anywhere anyway, I'm on my phone all the time too. So it's like it's really no different. It's just different objects. But yeah, I'm like, oh my god, cars used to come with lighters built in, and
0: (laughs) now they don't. Yeah,
1: I do a whole like love letter to smoking in my in my stand up that I'm touring with right now, and the people my age that are Gen X totally. Appreciated, and I do have younger people coming up to me going, Man, I wish I grew up when smoking was okay. So, I'm probably influencing a bunch of people in their 20s to start smoking, and that was not my intention. But <laughs>
0: <laughs> I hear you, I hear you. I, um, I love your your comedy, but you know, your routine. I mean, you are fearless on stage, and the stuff that you say, it, it's so, um, it's so, uh, just relatable but also tangible like I feel like it's very inclusive like I feel like like I've known you for years when I listen to your your routine I wanted to ask you you, oh you're welcome I wanted to ask you how did you get into comedy like what's your story what how did you know that this was your calling
1: I didn't and you know as I I get asked this a lot and as I like sort of sit with the question more and more I have different answers all the time and I think For me, it's like we can go deep psychologically where it's like anxious people are trying to amuse themselves. And I was an anxious kid and I loved comedy because it soothed me. And then I would try to be funny because it's almost like you can soothe yourself anytime you want if you're thinking of funny things to say. None of it was a home run or actually funny. But I was like a dark, anxious kid. And so comedy was... A great part of my life, and then I tried to be funny with my friends, and of course, like you know, it went over well with my friends, but not uh, their kids at school at, at large. And and never thought this is a job. I mean, I don't really understand. Maybe I, I don't know. Maybe if your kid is playing with um, scalpels and 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 you know uh, <laughs> things that doctors use. You know, you go, oh, my kid probably wants to be a doctor, but everyone likes comedy. So you don't think it's going to be a job and you don't know that it is. I mean, I was just saying to someone, you know, like I'm doing a gig in Norway this year. And when I was little and we'd go to Epcot Center, there was a ride that was like the Norway ride. And it was like these crazy boats and all these trolls would jump out. And I don't have a particular obsession with Norway, but I thought that was really cool. And if someone had said to me back then, hey, pause, you're 10 now. So in 34 years, you're going to get to go to Norway because your job and you're going to get paid one night to do your job. What the hell job is that? You know, and if they said (laughs) stand up comedy, I'd say stand up comedy. Isn't that something you just do on TV? Like I had no idea, you know, and growing up, I took dance and I acted and I wanted to be an actor. I wanted to be a dancer. I went to college for that. And again, there was no comedy culture, really. It was like not quite like it is today it was just some people were comedians and you you didn't, you just thought, well, that's who the comedians are. George Carlin and, and this person and that person and Joan Rivers and Johnny Carson. And that's who does it. Like you don't need new ones. You, I never thought of it. And then in, in college, I just kept being told by my friends that I was funny, but I, I really wasn't, I wasn't like cutting them up class clown I was like more ranty and dark and I'd make my friends laugh, but they'd make me laugh. So again, why would I think I was supposed to do this? So it was a slow burn and it never had anything to do with like I love comedy and I want to be funny. It was like sitting and watching comedy shows, watching my friends go do open mics. I just felt it it's like a feeling that isn't necessarily joyful. It's just like I'm supposed to be up there. It's almost like god oh, Jesus, I'm supposed to be up there. I really feel it. I don't. Oh my god, I got I can't sit here. Like it's that feeling it was nagging. Wasn't like, "Wow, and then um, I just started going to open mics, and then, you know, that's how I got started doing open mics, and then getting started in comedy to me is a totally different thing because you have to just keep doing it until you get better, and then eventually, you know, building blocks, things, things happen, dominoes fall, you get asked to go on the road with someone to be their opening act, you make someone laugh in Texas, you're like, mm, maybe I'm at this, you know, for me, it took 20 years to even... Get a career, you know. But now I I don't know. People probably go about things differently. But for me, it was like a real organic,
0: slow roll. Absolutely, absolutely. I was gonna ask you because yeah, I know that comedy has has changed quite a bit. And like you said, like you grew your audience, you know, very organically. Um, do you like the way that comedy has evolved? I feel like like the actual vehicle of comedy, you know, is is much the same, Um, but, you know, we were talking about, you know, just the 80s a minute ago and how things translate differently. Um, Are you happy with the way that, I guess, comedy has, you know, transformed and kind of translated into this millennial culture today? I think that might
1: be. I mean, part of me feels like I'm not part of a lot of different comedy. Like, I don't even know what's going on so much. But, you know, there was this moment, you know, when I was coming up, crowds are kind of mean. You know, it was this, like, antagonistic relationship with the audience, especially comedy clubs. It was like, yeah, let's go out and see if someone's funny instead of, like, yeah, let's go out and laugh. I mean, I'm way overgeneralizing, but there (laughs) there was a moment in the last five years where I was like, no, I know I have my own crowd, and I know I'm good at this, but I swear to God, it's not either or. There's a third thing happening where audiences are getting nicer, and they're getting patient. They can listen to, like, a longer story or something. And they're kind, and they're there; they really know they're there to have a good time and that you're trying to facilitate it and and so, I do think um people that are coming to see comedy are i don't know how to explain it they're coming with a different attitude about it, and even places like kind of comedy clubs used to seem kind of scary to me they're not anymore, so I think it's like I think it's been really great. I think you know not just comedians are changing, but people are changing as far as like the world of comedy. It's such a loner culture that I don't even feel like I'm in comedy. Like, I'm by myself on the road, so I don't really know what's going on. And, you know, when you're younger and coming up and you're not on tour yet, you're in your city and you're up every night with all your friends, you kind of know what the trends are. Like, I don't know what's happening right now. Like, I have no clue. (laughs) Because I'm not really, like, you know what I mean? I'm not, I'm not, I'm only surrounded by me.
0: absolutely. Absolutely i know that um you know comedy is has also been a vehicle for for change because uh my mom has a saying um uh, uh how does she say something to the effect of like comedy is a way to basically deliver the truth in a way that is that can translate you know it can break cultural barriers and um, you know that
1: famous quote i mean it, it wasn't your mom but <laughs> it was uh i forget <laughs> I forget who said it like George C. Scott or someone was like, Tell them the truth but make them laugh because otherwise they'll kill you.
0: Right.
1: <laughs> it's like it's it's that kind of thing. But but I do think, yeah, like I always say, you know, I don't do anything overtly political on my act. Uh, but I do think that just when you know, like if I'm a woman, so that's my in quotes, minority status in the world. And if someone who's who's black, that's theirs and someone who's gay and blah blah. But I think the more people of all different kinds of backgrounds and cultures and genders are getting on stage and just talking about their life, not even talking about, oh, I'm a woman or, oh, I'm black or, oh, I'm gay, but just like, oh, my God, I had the funniest thing happen at the store today. And someone goes, oh, my God, I relate to her. That's so weird. You know, like that. Right, right. <laughs> that I think is really cool when when you, you are like accidentally going around without meaning to humanizing um, your whether it's your gender, your race, you're humanizing it to people that, you know, maybe normally wouldn't think of it that way. So I think that's like one good thing that everyone's doing, whether they're intending to or
0: not, you know. Absolutely, absolutely, I completely agree, and I, you know, I I feel like it still can be a vehicle for for that change, and um, I I feel like in a lot of ways, you know, your comedy, your style of comedy is so relatable that it does do just that because. Um, okay, I'm African-American, for instance, and a lot of people will categorize, you know, comedians as, you know, oh, this is a a, a black comedian or, you know, this is a white comedian, you know, uh, black humor. But with the style comedy that you deliver, it's something that's so universal, and I think that that's an amazing thing. Um, How did you, my question is, is how did you, I guess, arrive at that style of comedy? How did you know that that's what fit you? Because there's so many different types of comedy and, you know, not everything works for everyone, but
1: you know, yeah,
0: it's really unique. How did you know that that was just tailor-made for you?
1: Yeah, it definitely wasn't a choice, and i probably, if I had a choice, I'd choose other things that I see other people doing that seem to make you more successful. <laughs> you but, know, yeah. so it's like, if I had a choice, I'd do whatever John Mulaney's doing, and I'd be him. Um, but I think that um, when I started, I'd always been a first-person point of view. I don't want to say storyteller, because that, that's just a thing people throw on me, and I rarely hate it, because I have punchlines every four seconds. It, it, I wouldn't have been able to survive 11 o'clock at night in a Texas comedy club without having punchlines, because they're not there to hear a story, you know? But... Um, but I might stay on the same topic for 10 minutes, right? I have a bunch of punchlines within that. To me, growing up, I literally only had a few, um, you know, examples of comedy, and they were, they were all like five minute late night yuck, yuck. I didn't have comedy albums. I didn't care about stand up comedy that deeply. So I really didn't have anyone to emulate or not. I just got on stage. I, I wrote all these jokes at my first open mic, and then I got on stage and I it was like an instinct, like something went, don't say these, these aren't funny. And they weren't. So I told a story that was like, oh, well, if I can't be funny, I know I can't be funny the first time. What if I'm so honest that it's like mesmerizing? So I told it, well, if it's mesmerizing, I'd calm down then, but you know, what if it's interesting? And I told a story about um, losing my virginity later in life and like how i would lied about it my whole life. And I thought, that's gonna make me really nervous to tell. <laughs> I'm like, I'm so afraid to say this because I don't want to look like a loser. And then it, it worked; people liked it. But you, you know, again, it was a crowd of twenty-somethings that were my age. But it was like in that moment, I knew. And then I moved to New York, and I was told by some executives, um, in comedy that that you know the big thing right now is what Mitch Hedberg is doing. You got to do short one-liners. And I was like, oh, okay. Instead of going, screw you, I'll I'll be me and he'll be him. I just went, okay. And so for a couple of years, I tried to do these one-liners that were not funny, you know, and and I was not doing well. (laughs) And then I would, like, go secretly do, like, a little show where I could kind of do my own thing. So it was like, you know, I did it wrong for a while, and then I knew, oh, that thing I do, that's what I'm supposed to be doing. And then I sort of like to mix you know, I'll tell them, oh, I got a story for you guys. So it sounds conversational, but then I'm boom, 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 trying to hit with jokes. So I just always been like that. And then once I caught on to myself and like, I feel like as a standup, you have to be kind of growing up at the same time and maturing. And it took me a while to do that. So it wasn't maybe only until like eight years ago, that I was like, no, this is how I do it. And it's not even that unique. Other people have done it. And this is how I do it, you know, and it's like, you just have to the, the more natural it is, the better you're going to be at it. So, like, anyone – it's just so weird. Like, in my heart, uh, like, if I was better at prop comedy, I would certainly do that. I'm not good at it. Or not, I haven't tried. But, you know, it's just sort of – it's like saying to someone, how did you pick your personality? It's like, I don't know. It's just This is just me. Like, I didn't try to think about it. You know? Right, right. So, yeah, that's kind of – and you just hone it and make it, you know – just kind of hone it. Like I know I've listened to people laugh at me and uh, you know what I'm realizing too is like, I used to think being angry was like the coolest thing on stage. (laughs) Now I realize it's not, it's upsetting. So in the last few years, I've kind of let my true joy come out on stage, but it's okay to like, you can act angry and and they know that you're not actually angry in that moment, that you're just um, expressing yourself. But, yeah, I used to – it took a lot of trials and tribulations to get the, the right uh, ingredient, like, recipe, I guess.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. I was going to ask you – this is another weird question, but uh, before you perform, do you ever get, I guess, butterflies? Do you, do you get nervous? Do you, do you have, like, a a ritual or anything that you do, per se, to kind of calm you down and to get you in comedy mode?
1: I've never been nervous once, and I I – it's not a cockiness. It just doesn't make me nervous. Um, there are certain things that don't feel natural to me, like doing a television taping of certain sorts where I'm like, this is not how it normally is in the clubs. I'm in this environment where I have five minutes to do this. And I might feel concern or dread and, but never like the traditional butterflies that I would feel like, you know, right before I did on like a long slide or something. So I, if I'm in that mode, though, where I'm feeling concern or dread, I don't really do anything. I just – I try not to let, like, my negativity come through. I feel like when you're feeling really negative, it's sort of like you're surrounded by that energy shield and people are like, here comes someone negative. Before they even open, before they even open their mouth, you can tell, like, ugh, that person doesn't – I try to not let my self-doubt and negativity shine through. So I will say, like, a little – um Thing to myself, where I'm like, okay, hope everyone in the audience is having a great time. I hope they, I like wish them well. I think about hope everyone here is an easy drive home and that they're full of love. Like I do stuff like that, and uh, but and right before I go on stage, I usually just like to be alone for a second and look over my um, set list because I change the order of steps a lot. But yes, yeah, so I just need to be like quiet for a second, but but not. Not really any big ritual. It's more like if I'm on the road, I just have to not talk to anyone all day so that I'm, like, bursting with the need to get out there. Um, But, yeah, I don't ever get traditional nervous. I just get dread, like, ah, this isn't going to go well. I'm usually right, by the way. I think it's not going to go
0: well. I hear you. I hear you. Do you – I wanted to ask you now, do you um, have, I guess, a a favorite place that you um, usually – perform uh you know perform at because you've been all over the world. You're you know, you're international in terms of your tour uh your touring stand up. Uh is there a place like New York or Chicago that or, or anywhere, you know, that, that you just you're you love affectionately?
1: It keeps changing because I'll be like, oh my God, they love me in wherever, let's say Chicago. And then I'll go again and it's not the same crowd or the same circumstances or the same magic and i'm like "Ah, i could do without these people you know what i mean right like (laughs) every every tour there's like a city that i'm like now that's my city last year it was like minneapolis was like the place they were so great um then i you know or i'll be like london's really hard they're usually drunk and then i'll have a week in london where they're like eating it up so it's like all chemistry depends on like the weirdest stuff um but it's always the places that people least expect. It's like, you know, they might Brooklyn and Chicago, I mean, yeah, they're great. But, like, there's places where people are like, thank you for coming here. And you're like, hey, if you pay me, <laughs> I'll go anywhere. I'm not, like, me. Right. <laughs> and so I think a lot – like, I went to Champaign, Illinois once, and they're like, who comes here? And I was like, it just worked out. So many people showed up, and they just were into it. Now, I could try to recreate that magic and go back there. It may not be the same. I don't know, but – I truly have not – it's always, like, a little bit more off the beaten path or not the major city in a, in a state that is always great. Um, but I've gone through phases where, like, I feel like no one in San Francisco laughed at me for 10 years. In the last few years, they love me. So it has always changed
0: Oh, my gosh. So oh wow. <laughs> <laughs> but,
1: yeah, I mean, there's places I love going just because um, – you know, I, look, I like going once, if, if I see, I always look at my ticket sales. I get the numbers, like, behind the scenes once a week. So if, if I see a city that's, like, selling really well in advance, I'm like, oh, I am so, I get so excited to go there. I you. I know that I yeah, I know they're excited for me to get there. I hope.
0: <laughs> I, I wanted to ask you, what do you love most about touring? Um, I know it's kind of a arbitrary question, but because um, it just the only places or, or people no because
1: or... I don't really see anything I'm especially on my one nighters I just see hotels and cars and trains and planes which just people get off <laughs> when I say that but I'm fine with it because I'm literally only going to be on stage which is all I ever wanted to do in my life like is be on stages in capacity so that's the only part I like is being on stage like I'm kind of, like, not as big a name as I used to be. I, mean, I don't mean to bum anyone out, but, like, I don't have a tour manager. I don't have an assistant. I probably shouldn't say this. Um, I am armed, but I am alone on the road. I'm not armed, but I will kick your ass and I have things <laughs> okay. I'll spray in your eyes if you come after me not you but anyone listens but I'm I'm by myself and it's a lot of work like I handle all the merchandise I have to get there early in sound check I deal with this I deal with the sales I did the da done I do, 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 do. you know it's a lot of work and it's a nightmare and so what I would love is to be on a tour bus with someone else driving in and playing like a 10,000 seat theater and you know that would make me love every aspect of touring but for right now it's literally only the stage part and not I'm not complaining that's that's always going to be the best part for me and i love staying in hotels like hotels are my favorite thing love hotels oh, i wow. never leave my yeah i never leave my hotel room um unless, mm-hmm. except for the show yeah because i was staying like a fun people i don't do like the motel six and the whatever but i'm not at the ritz either but a fun boutique hotel like there is such cute places all over the country. So I live for hotels. So hotels and stage two places I could be forever.
0: I agree completely. And I'm laughing (laughs) because I just could I couldn't picture picture you at like, some CD Motel 6 or, like, wow. like I would cry.
1: What's <laughs> so funny, because people will contact me, and are like, I feel so bad you're on the road. Don't you want a home-cooked meal? Do you want to – you can stay with us? And I'm like, that's why I live this life, because I don't want to be home. Like, I want to be out, you know, in a hotel. or I can, I can be home when I'm home, but for me, it's like – I want my sheets changed in the morning and no one talking
0: to me. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I understand completely. I understand. I um I wanted to ask you um you um you you know you've you have Netflix specials and you know you you talked a little bit about um um just uh a while ago about how you know sometimes you feel a little bit out of your element um when you are um you know taping for television how do you yes. I guess how do you get yourself into that mindset cuz yeah when cameras cameras are rolling it is a different feeling
1: yeah. Well, with something like Netflix where you're doing your full hour and you can stop anytime you want and you can have someone, kind of a hype man come on before you or a hype woman, that's like, look, this is a TV taping, Laugh real you know, that, it feels amazing. It's a thrill. But it's only like, I'll give you an example. There's this festival in Canada, the Montreal Comedy Festival. Oh, I've heard
0: of that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So they have these things called the galas, and it'll be someone really famous, like, you know, Howie Mandel or whatever. It'll be, like, their stand-up show. And, and it's televised, and it's only broadcast in Canada. And he'll be hosting it, or whoever, Joan Rivers, one and they, it's, like, their show, and they have a comedian come on for four minutes, and this is how the process goes. You put all your jokes in writing and submit it to the festival. And then they tell you if you can or can't do something, Then you get there, and you have to, like, go in the afternoon and, wear, you know, show them what you're going to wear. And they're going to go, what's your last line? Say it exactly as that. Okay, and you're going to stand here, right? You're not going to go over to the left because the camera's here. So you have to think about where you're standing. Oh,
0: my God. And then,
1: yeah, and then it's been this long taping, and usually the lights are on in the audience so that they can uh, get audience reaction. So the audience is lit, and so... They don't really laugh as much, I find, if they're brightly lit. People laugh in the dark because it's like, I don't want anyone to, you know, look at me while I'm agreeing with this weird thing. So it's already the most unnatural environment. It's nothing like how comedy is normally done. And then you get out and do four minutes. And it you can't really get to know someone in four minutes. Like, I could say oh. four jokes, you know, in four minutes that normally would kill if I did them in at the 35-minute mark on stage but you got to come out with your funniest, quickest stuff. You know, you can't mess around. Hey everyone, how you doing? And I'm just not that type of comic. And so anytime I have to do one of those shows, I'm like, I'm just like, just like, yep. It's like going to get a whole lot which I haven't done, but you're just like, I know this is going to suck. So I'm going to drink this stuff the night before. and then I'm going to go there and I'm going to wear a paper gown and they're going to poke and prod and that's going to suck. Like, that I dread, but when it's your own taping, you know, you can talk however you want and you can basically stand wherever you want and the audience is your fan base. So that kind of stuff has been a joy for me. But, man, it's those little, like, five-minute TV tapings, like, you know, and that's why people are like, why don't you try to do more stuff like, the Tonight Show or whatever. It's like, because I don't want five minutes of me bombing all across America. Like, I don't need it. <laughs> it's going to go badly. <laughs>
0: I understand, <laughs> man. I um, I had no idea but that's how it was. I mean, I guess you know people that aren't in the business wouldn't know that. Um, yeah, but that makes. Sense. And oh,
1: and with my Netflix specials, I don't. I think it's cheesy to do like cutaway shots to the audience laughing. Like, why do the people at home need to see that? Like, who cares? So that's why my audiences are usually not brightly lit. So I feel they can laugh. You know, during my specials and stuff. Um, I have been accused by people of, like, putting the laugh in later, like, that they're not real. Because it's was the audience. Yeah, I was like, I don't, I don't really care if you can't see the audience. <laughs> but, yeah, so it's like, any TV taping is usually the most unnatural experience on earth, but you have to do it because it usually pays, and then you get exposure and blah, blah, blah. But, oh, yeah. They make comedians do some weird stuff that, like, they don't realize you're, you're taking a thing that works in this specific environment and you're you're killing it basically.
0: <laughs> right, right. Holy crap! I did that. Like, that.
1: <laughs> like if you were in like a, a horseback riding jockey for a living, and someone's like, "Great, now do that on a trampoline," you're like, "But we don't do this on trampolines." Well, that's how we do it on horses on trampolines, <laughs> the TV show. <laughs> and you're like, "Okay."
0: <laughs> oh It looks God. bad. <laughs> Talk about those circus! Holy crap!
1: Yeah, totally.
0: <laughs> wow, that is nuts. I um uh, wanted to ask you. So you you are I mean people I don't know if people know this but you're also a television writer, um you know you're a, a New York Times bestselling author. Um, how do you how do you juggle everything that that you do? Because I mean, I, I think a lot of people have the the tendency to kind of compartmentalize. Um, yeah. Does it? How do you turn it off and turn it on? Is it? Does it all kind of merge together for you?
1: I mean, I kind of have no choice. I know this sounds crazy, but you know, and everyone in who's a comic is crazy, and we all think we're doing horribly. But truly, uh, if I had, if I had come out of the gate as a comic, Seinfeld famous, with you know, selling out stadiums, there'd be no reason for me to take a job writing on TV. You know. So every job I've taken has been a necessity. It's been great that I didn't have to go, like, work in an office or, you know, work, you know, filing medical claims or whatever. But um, my first writing jobs were, like, I need to make a living and I'm not making one as a stand-up. And so there's no, like, precious choice of how do I do it all. It's like you do it or someone else gets the job and you can go back to temping, you know. And so at first, like, everything I've done has always just come at the exact right time, like, I wrote on Chelsea Lately for eight years and that's all I was doing. So that's like, I went up and went to work every day, time to six and tour a little bit on the weekends. And I did get a book deal during that, but you just write in the morning uh, before work and you write at night after and you just do it. Like you don't even have a choice of how you want your day to look It's just That's what you do. And then like the last couple of years, I wasn't, um, you know, I wasn't going to be on tour the whole time. So I took a job, I took a writing job then and, I've, I've sold my own TV shows. They haven't been made, but that's like a big thing that I do is like, usually once every year I sell a script to a network. I write it. It, it never, it, like, I don't mean it in a bad way. This, this is like 98% of TV writers make a living this way, but, but nobody ever knows. Like they pay you to write a script. It doesn't end up on the air. You do it again the next year. And, and um, that kind of thing. What? So there's kind of like what? no choice. I yeah. So like, yeah. So basically like, so anyway, my answer to you is like, I can't, there's no choice. Like right now I'm working on a few projects trying to get some things in the air. And it's, I, I work, I work on 4th of July. Like I write all day and I just have no choice. So it's, it's not, I don't, you don't always juggle that. Well, like sometimes I can't have a personal life because all this work is coming in and then I know no work might come in for a year, you know? Um, It's definitely hard, but yeah, like, so basically like every TV show that you see like coming this fall, you know, Right. Two two families live together and they've never met. You know whatever that show is. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> that's a good
1: show. Um, so every year networks hear about five hundred pitches, and they buy maybe a hundred ideas, and then a hundred people go off and write scripts. And every network, I would say no, not every network maybe buys thirty to fifty scripts a year. And then maybe even less, maybe 30. And then they order maybe 10 of them to pilot, and then two get picked up. So that's kind of how it goes. So oh, it's like yeah. a huge honor just to sell the thing in the first place. It's, wow. like, it's like, oh, my God, I've already won the lottery. Not financially, but I've won the odds lottery. And then, you know, as it takes three months to write it. You develop it with the network. You kind of get a sense, like, oh, I don't think this is going to go to pilot. And then of all the things that go to pilot, maybe half of those actually become a series. So it's like the odds just keep getting crazier and crazier. But if you're one of those people that tends to sell an idea every year, they tend to like you and have you back and want to work with you again. And weirdly, the fact that they didn't make your show the year before doesn't make you less of a contender the next year so that's kind of like what I do behind the scenes is like this time of year until the fall and am coming up with ideas then I'll pitch in the fall usually just center on one idea you take it everywhere and hopefully someone pays me to write it and then keep going from there but yeah it's a crazy uh most writers in LA are people who sell things maybe one percent of the time they've ever made it on air but
0: holy crap that, mm-hmm. the, the attrition rate is like crazy i didn't know it was that that uh that it was that i guess competition was that steep does it yeah a weird question but does it um is it upsetting as a writer like i mean because you're Look, paid for but i mean
1: not uh, upsetting to me because because truly at the end of the day i'm only just one of you stand up so it's like And by the way, like, so you'll sell the idea. And a lot of the ideas are things I really care about, and they're something I would totally be in. But I have this kind of, like, future vision, like, go, 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 go. So, you know, you sell the idea in September. You start writing it. You write it for four months. And then usually around Christmas, you turn it in. But you do all these rounds of notes with the network. And as you're doing that, you start to realize how much they really understand it or how much they really like it. And you kind of know in your heart, I don't think they're going to pick this up. So you have a ton of time to, like, to know this isn't going to go. And then you go do whatever you do for the holidays. You come back in January, and you're already thinking about next year. And then you get the call, like, yeah, they passed. you like, yeah, I knew that in November. Like, it, it, there's it's such a slow, you know what I mean? It's like such right, right, a slow right. process that it's really not ever a surprise. Yeah. Um, right. <laughs> I think it's, it's only like a surprise it's when it's something you, does you, go.
0: not me. <laughs> like a breakup. Exactly. <laughs> and it's really,
1: you know, the weirdest things happen. Like, I'll give you an example. Like, there's one network that every year they say, this is what we're looking for. We're looking for a show about a bunch of friends. And you're like, okay, but all your shows are only about families. I know, we're doing something new this year. We're like, great. I have an idea about a bunch of friends. They buy it. I write the script. They pass on the script. They go, you know what? We're only doing shows about families. I'm like, that's what I thought. But it's, like, they all say they're going to try something new, then they don't. And so it's, like, a lot of times it's totally not personal. It has to do with, like, what – it's all just so not personal. And so, like, it's just not a big deal. It would only be if I was, like, but I love this idea. And I I do feel that way. But usually, like, I swear to God, half the time that you're working on ideas with networks, like – it's turning into something you didn't expect anyway. And it's like easy to let it go. It's hard to let go of the possible money you would have made, but that's why you can never get your hopes up because it will just kill you. You have to just never think about it again. You know, oh, it's crap. like, it must be like being on the bachelor. Like I know they're dating 10 other people. I'd be in
0: pity <laughs> to think
1: I'm going to get picked.
0: <laughs> right, right. Yeah. That's how I would describe it as well. You know, It's crazy though. <laughs> Yeah. Um, wow. So whenever um, people like, why don't you
1: have your own show? I'm like, if you only knew how hard it is. It's not like someone just walks by and gives it to you. Like, I think people think that, like, networks go to people like, hey, you got nice, you know, they might say, hey, you have any ideas? You seem like a hot commodity right now. But if they don't like your idea, then they're like, okay, thanks for coming in, bye. Like, they don't even care. So, you know, I think it's it's, it's really
0: hard. <laughs> yeah, I see, I see. I uh, Wow, that's. Crazy. Um, so, I, you have, but I mean, you you've done some, you know, amazing work, and I guess you know. My question for you is: Is when you're, you know, twenty years from now, twenty twenty-five years from now, um, when you're looking back, I'll be seventy.
1: Years, <laughs> <laughs> freaking crazy. Anyway, yes, but I'm looking uh, back.
0: <laughs> um, what what. <laughs> is, <laughs> What, what is what is it that you want people to take away from the work that you've done? Because you, you've done a lot. and I'm I want like, them to I take feel- away the
1: thing that I haven't done yet. Like, to me, everything I've done, who cares? I want them to be like, oh, she ended up being – to be honest, I don't care what anyone says. Also, if I found a, I'm not lying when I say this. When I started out in my 20s, I thought 45 was like the oldest age ever, and I wanted to be retired by now. And I'm so like I love what I do, but honestly, if we didn't need money in society to live, or if someone just gave me five million dollars, I would literally not work. Like I, I, I want to see the world and relax. Like I'm wow. not that ambitious, you know. Like I don't do anything for like a legacy or to beat that person or whatever. I'm like, just someone let me pay the bills this year. So I'm learning that about myself as I get older. Something I didn't really know about myself 15 years ago, or maybe it changed. But I'm like, ah. You know, I'm hopefully not working in twenty years, but um, I hope that people just look back and go, "She was an original stand-up." Like to me, if I get included in any list of people that like these are these were the real comedians that were alive during this point, and she's in the is it pantheon? Is that the word? Of you know, yeah. If there, if it's like she was one of the one hundred comedians that existed on Earth that got paid to do it and that were, in quotes, like, real. I, that's That would make me so happy because I'm so proud of having this weird thing as a job that's so hard to do and so hard to get going. Like, I am very proud of the fact that I get to do that as a job. Um, so I would just want that. I don't want to be um, – yeah, that's what I would want. They don't even have to say it was the best or the funniest, it's just in, in the mix.
0: I hear you. But, Jen, and I don't want to – you know, just sound like I'm just you know kissing your butt or whatever. But would I, I would I would argue that you are. I mean, when we look at comedy, you know, and just like women in comedy, I would say that you're you know you're you're up there as one of the you know I would say pioneers um, of women in comedy. You know, I mean, it's um, listen. I, I
1: would love that, but I I I'll let you you I want you to start spreading that. Rumor everywhere you go. <laughs> but I'll, okay. I'll probably, I won't be able to agree until I'm 70 and I'm looking back going, he was right. He was right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, you
0: know, I just, because I think about it and, you know, there's, you know, and I, I can't speak for you because I'm not you, but I mean, it just seems like in comedy, you know, women get the short end of the stick at times and, I mean, just the fact that you've been able to work through, you know, disappointment and just, you know, people that, you know, have, you know, may have overlooked you because you're a female. Yeah. And, and You know, I mean, that to me, that says a lot. Like you've overcome I, like some real adversity, you know.
1: And I'm really proud of myself for not stopping because it definitely did happen and there weren't a ton of examples of women. But now there are. There's like a billion Um that, you know, I'm sure are inspiring the people that haven't started yet, the amount of women doing it now, like, and the fact that everyone's finding work is still inspiring to me. But I am I am proud of myself for not stopping, because there is something, like, you know, when people ask me how I got started in comedy, I think it's, like, the next interesting level is how did I stay in comedy, because there's, it's not like you start and then you get work. It's There's, like, this whole first 10 years where, you're just not getting any work, and you don't know if it's because you're not funny or you're funny but unlucky or you're funny but a woman or funny but gay or funny but black. Like, you don't know, and it, it takes, like, retrospective for me to look back and go, you know, a couple of those opportunities, that was sexism, a couple of them, I was not right for the job, because it takes a lot to, like, realize what what you've actually been through. So you have to kind of keep your blinders on and go, I think I'm good at this, but not in an egotistical way, but, like, I think I have something to say. And, you know, why not me? Not like I'm better than anyone, but, like, I'm as crappy as everyone else, and I'm as good as most other people, so why not? You know, and I think just even that attitude can keep you alive throughout all the hard times. You don't even have to think you're, like, the greatest thing. You can just think, like, why not, you know?
0: Absolutely, absolutely. I um want to ask you, how did, how did you overcome adversity? Because, I mean, like, a lot of people would have just given up, you know, after mm. 10 years of, you know, not, you know, not booking or booking not as much as you would like. Um, what was it that kept you going?
1: I think it's a combination of things, you know, when other comedians that, that are like doing well and that you respect like you, the like comedians are the warmest people and they're not going to go up to you and say you're funny if you're not. But, but I had people like that, like Pat Oswalt or Paul F. Tompkins or... That open I because people are telling me your funding don't stop, I get you, don't stop and it was like, okay, I just okay, you know, and it was like that was enough for a while, and then um I went on the road as an opening act for like another client of my manager, whatever fifteen years ago, and it was the first time I got to perform like for twenty five minutes in front of a city i have never been in, and I wasn't on t v they had no reason to laugh at me. it wasn't like, oh, we know her. And I made them laugh, and I went, okay. So it's like one moment, like 25 minutes a year can keep you hanging on if you really want it, you know. And then there was one year where I just went, you know, if I never make it, and and by make it to me, then I only meant get paid for it. I had my little day job. I was I was filing something somewhere, and I was like, you know, if I just do this at night for fun, and that's all that ever comes of it, I have to be okay with it. Like, it's my joy. It's, like, truly my joy. So, Hopefully I'll find someday day job that pays better than the one I met. And it's like that, it's like those three attitudes. Like, would I do this if I just was going to do it for free the rest of my life? And if the answer is yes, then just keep doing it for free. And then if people along the way are signposting that you're funny, like just know it's going to happen eventually, but just don't, you just can't stop. Eventually you just can't stop. I mean, now they're making more comics than they've ever made but it used to be true that if you just stayed in the race, eventually everyone drops. Now there's so many people in the race. It's like, I don't know right, if that's right. still true. <laughs> but yeah, it's like nobody would notice. But, but back then for me, that was definitely true. Like, just stay in. And I also was a big fan of Joan Rivers' um, first book. It was called Enter Talking. And it was about her slog through show business and trying to find work. And I that was like my Bible. I just kept going it happened for her for this long, and like I know I can do it. You know, I almost had a pride about like I know, and these people don't know yet, but it's coming. You know, I I had to have a little bit of
0: that. Absolutely. Are you um Are you pleased with everything? Like just looking back, is there anything that you would have done differently? Um, are are you pleased <laughs> with everything so Did far? I,
1: on a spiritual level, yes. Like I I have no regrets because everything was supposed to go the way it was supposed to go. And there's so much more to my life than, than comedy. So anytime I'm like, Oh, I wish I didn't move there. I wish I did that. It was like, yeah, but there's other things, you know, there was like important lessons I had to learn in life outside of comedy. So, but um, yeah, there's definitely things I would do differently. Um, I think I wouldn't have poo poo. I I think I, I don't know. I think, yeah, I mean, Overall, I probably would have listened to myself more at the beginning. But that year that I let people tell me what to do, I I would have said, no, I'm going to – I remember – do you know Mike Verbiglio.
0: Yeah, I mean, not personally, but – Yeah.
1: He he and I I started around the same time in New York, and he was like, I tell stories. I mean, he's also – a joke writer, fantastic joke writer. Again, like I said before, I don't think Storytime the Grizzly described comedy, but he wanted to do longer, more one-man show kind of thing. And he said to me, do you want to get an office and like we can write together? Like we can split the money for this office and we can write jokes like it's our job. And I was like, what are you talking about? I was such a weirdo. I don't know why I go, I have a day job. I can't, I was like, I can't do this. I can't. I was just so like, no, I'm not doing that. (laughs) And it's not that I regret not getting that office, but he knew right away what he wanted to do, even if no one else was doing it. And I secretly wanted to do what he was doing. We had a similar thing. And I went, I'm going to do what these big executives tell me because uh, they know a thing or two. And I should have listened to my voice and to my friend who was telling me, but but we do a different thing, you know? So I think just always, uh, it's, a hard, it's hard, like, if anyone's listening, it's I don't mean, like, be stubborn and don't listen to critiques, but, if someone's telling you stop doing what you're doing and do this because that's the trend, that is terrible advice always. So I, I kind of wish I'd, I'd, um, you know, kind of loved myself a little more, a little, a little earlier. But otherwise, you know, the fact that I didn't is probably what gave me such great material in a way. Like going through life kind of not knowing what I'm doing gave me so much good material eventually.
0: I do, yeah. If I'd i had been do.
1: nailing it from the beginning in all areas of life, I don't know what I don't know if I'd have any comedy to do. <laughs> huh, that, yeah. Yeah.
0: that is true. Yeah.
1: Because if someone tells me, Hey, you're doing it wrong, do this and I listen in terms of my career, you know I'm doing that in every other area of life. You know that I'm not that <laughs> strong a person, that smart a right. person. And and it's like, Oh, but that's where the comedy is. It, you know, so it's tough to say, but um, no, I don't think I have any re- total regrets. It's like I wish I were, you know, the most famous comedian that ever lived in the mansion, but I didn't, like, nothing I could have done to make that happen. It just sometimes it happens,
0: sometimes it doesn't. I hear you. I hear you completely. Have you seen, <laughs> this is a weird question, but have you seen the new Twilight Zone series?
1: No, I'm not. I'm, I watch Stranger Things, but that's, like, my only sci-fi, really.
0: Okay, okay. There's a, There was a, a, uh, an episode in this season's um uh premiere and it was um I think it was Cal Penn um was the actor but um it was about a comedian it was called the comedian and um he makes a um he makes a uh a wish with this uh, with, with this genie uh, I guess you could call him a genie but it was the genie was like uh method man and so <laughs> I, I just had a visual of you like making some some off scotch. Some deal. <laughs> <That's>, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'll
1: have to watch it. I haven't seen it though. Yeah, but I would pretty, watch one about a comedian.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty neat. And it's like it's the new Twilight Zone series and it's it's only available on that app. And so it's like it has it has like swearing in it. It's so Oh well, it has
1: to if it's about a comedian, I guess.
0: Right, but but it was but it's funny because when um Calpin goes back to him, he, he's like he's like, well, what did you what did you expect in that for life? Like he pimped him pretty much. Like, oh, it was just funny, but um yeah, I got that visual when you said that. You know, you couldn't. You know, that. <laughs> um. I um I'm, so I'm super excited. You're um you're set to come here to Nashville uh, next fifteenth, yeah. and I think that that's huge. Um, how do you feel?
1: Well, I want all the tickets to be sold out before I get there. Then then I'll feel something. But yeah, okay. I mean I've played Nashville a lot. I really like it. Um, I'll be there the fifteenth at Basement East. I was there at that same location a couple years ago. It was fantastic. So I'm really excited, and you know I have all new stuff that they haven't seen. They haven't seen on Netflix, and they haven't seen it last time that they came. So, and I'm getting a lot of new people full, So I think there'll be a lot of people there that maybe more of their last time. So I'm I'm as always excited. Um, and that's yeah my first stop on my little southern, just little southern three night run. But yeah, it's gonna
0: be great. Absolutely, absolutely. I yeah I'm excited. I I didn't catch you um, the last you know when you were here a couple of years back because. Um, I don't know what I was doing, but, um, but yeah, I'm super excited to, to catch your show. And I think that, you know, like I said, the work that you, you're doing is, is really amazing. Um, another weird question, but what is the the biggest takeaway that you want people to get from your shows? Because, uh, again, like your, your comedy, you don't, um, don't know, you include the audience, but you don't pick on them, if that makes sense. So yes, that's I've a great never, way to put it. Yeah, yeah. so I think that that's so cool, that's so unique, um, and and I think that in a way, and this sounds weird, but it's it's kind of like, um, I, I feel uplifted after I, I've listened to you, oh! there's, you know, like, you're, that's you're relatable. <laughs> that's
1: what I want, and, and you know, that's relatively new for me. In the last, like, five years or so, I realized, well, what, you know, I what do I do this for? And it's not so much like literally like the ha-has. I mean, I, when people don't laugh. I get worried they're not liking it. But okay. when I, yeah. <laughs> you know, when I go home at night and I'm like feeling good or bad about a show, I feel good when people tell me after I really related or I needed to hear that or I didn't want to come out tonight, but you know, you made me feel. I just, you know, I, I'm, I'm of a generation. I love talking about being Generation X. I think we're a generation that was like, oh, by the way, don't mistake it. Everything's horrible, but here's the deal. Like, we're still going to have a nice time tonight, and we're still going to leave with a new perspective about whatever. And I don't even talk about – like, I don't talk about Donald Trump in my act. It's not like it's off limits, but I just don't have anything funny to say. If he comes up in an organic way, like, oh, you know, if if it's like about, oh, my dad – likes to watch them on TV, like it would be a story about my family, but it's not about a politics issue. And so um, I think it's a nice escape from that. And I also think it's just, I do it so that when I hear people laughing, I know that they're saying I relate with their laughter and I never want to feel like I'm the only one who's thinking something. I never want to feel like I'm the only one on earth who's feeling something. So in that one hour, I want everyone to go, I never knew it was okay to feel this way, whatever we're talking about. Um, And so you know, I love that feeling of feeling uplifted. I want it to just be, like, I want them to feel the joy I have for doing what I do, and I want them to feel how appreciative I am that I came and that this live stuff is the point of everything. You know, like, every Netflix special is a big commercial so that people will come see me live. And and so, like, it's it's such a precious little hour that I have with everyone. And, yeah, the only takeaway I want is for them to go – I would come back and I feel so understood and I feel so happy. I just people to feel happy after. It's like anything I can do. I don't even care if they don't ever say she's funny. As long as they feel happy after, then I've, then I've like, fulfilled my mission.
0: I love it. I love it. Yeah, Ooh. that is – that's true. Yeah, because um, to me it's like I feel like comedy can really heal. And I think that, um, you know, as a culture, you know, we – as a society rather we um we've gotten to the the um to the point of where we're so comfortable just making fun of people, and so that becomes like i guess the you know comedy you know what people perceive as comedy, like oh, I'm just you know gonna bash this person or you know and, and not to say that you know sometimes you know good sport you know good humor or whatever is. Yeah, it's just that, but I mean, it's it's refreshing not to to lead in with it all the time, and and I think that you do a good job of balancing that, which is which is great, you know.
1: And I'm very strict. If people yell out at my shows, even if they're yelling out "I love you" and they're drunk, they're kicked out. <laughs> oh like, right, right. Is, you know, this is I don't believe in three strikes in right? I believe in one strike, and you know, you wouldn't be at like a Broadway show and yell out and they'd be like, "Okay, two more times, you can interrupt." this show. And then you're kicked out. I'm like, no, you know what? I have to respect what I do or no one else will, you know? Right, so right, right. I, I want people to have fun, but they have to shut up.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I, I agree. I agree. Um, have you, how how do you, um, have you ever dealt with just any like super unruly heck- hecklers? Have you ever been just,
1: uh, I just, it's really like, I don't give them the satisfaction of saying anything funny. I don't usually think of anything funny in the moment because I'm so upset. I truly, um, I will just go, I'm going to get off stage for a minute and I let them handle it. Like I've done that at places or I'm just like, yeah. I'm going to stop the show until someone kicks them out. And I just sit there and I make it really uncomfortable. Like, it's yeah. just to me, like, like I'm a security guard at a mall or something. It's like, I, I don't have a little routine I do for them. I don't want to like, I don't have any ego about like, I got to take them down. I'm more just like, I don't want them to be here. Cause I flew in and drove and didn't sleep. and, you know, took a risk on making money tonight. Like, you know, this is my job. And like, sometimes you don't get paid as much as you think if people don't show up and the people that did, like it ruins comedy for them. And that's what they think comedy is. So I'm trying to set examples. So I don't, there's no pomp and circumstance. I will just stand there and go, okay, so I'm not joking. And I would tell the security before the show, I'm not joking. If I say, please, um, let's get this person out. And I'll just stand there. I don't care if it's awkward. Like, then no one will ever try to do it again. But if you banter with them and make jokes and like tear them down, then people think it's a sport and that you like it or go the heckler really helped you. And I'm like, I don't play that.
0: Right, right, yeah. It's it's a warped, uh, warped way of thinking that people have. Like I, I don't, I guess I don't get it. But um,
1: yeah,
0: yeah, you're right. I mean, it's they treat it like a sport. Like,
1: <laughs> yeah, and it's, I mean, for some comics, they might like it. I hate it because I mean. I don't ever want to be up there like not in control and and even if you're kinda of winning against the heckler, like every second you're really not in control. I just don't like that. It's like ugh, I don't need anyone to see me have this hard a time. So I just don't even engage. I hear you. <laughs> I rejection. hear you. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I feel horrible but I have an appointment at five thirty and oh. I have to run, I have to go drive like a half an hour. Absolutely. I didn't absolutely. I didn't realize our maybe chatting so long which I've enjoyed, but I, I have to I have to run to my next thing.
0: Absolutely. Thank you so much, Jen. I really appreciate it. And uh, oh, looking, yeah. forward, looking forward to your show on the 15th of August in Nashville at Basement East.
1: Yes, I tell everyone, just get your butts out. Um, there is no next time if you don't come this time.
0: Right. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Always oh, so, so good much. to talk
1: to you. It's such a great likewise. interview. I really appreciate it.
0: Thank you. Likewise, likewise. Thank you, Jen. All
1: right, let's
0: we'll see you in Nashville. Don't skip yes, my ma'am. show. I won't. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, no
1: Oh, <laughs>